Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we tap experts on topics that matter most to the modern working woman, whether you are running the show or working your side hustle. We're bringing in leading female entrepreneurs to share their stories with you. Are you ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Hi, guys. So this is a lovely Cindy, and I'm just going to let her dive in. I've heard this story, and I was blown away the first time that she told me about what she's done and managed to accomplish for women. And I just, I really think it's so fantastic and so admire her. And I'll, yeah, I'll just let you kind of share. All right, so what Rumor isn't saying is I'm best known for getting what the media calls female Viagra approved. So there were 26 drugs for men and not a single one for women until we broke through. I don't think so. Um, But it was, as you might imagine, an insane ride uh, to break through with the first ever thing tackling women's desire and pleasure. And I can promise you that it was a tale of two sexes to go through that process. So I created a little pink pill. um, And if it had been a little blue pill, my product would have been approved in six months because it met such an important unmet medical need, it would have been raced through. By contrast, it took me six years. Um, It took a turn down from the FDA, a very public battle with them and fight. And the reason for that is we had three times as many women worth of data in our clinical trials. We ultimately triumphed, science won. Uh, Science had given us the answer a long time ago. Uh, It's just that we couldn't get out of our own way of a societal narrative that highly values sexual pleasure for men, um, but absolutely dismisses it for women. And and here's what I can tell you, um, the 26 V0 that really ignited me, I knew it all too well because I'd built one of those companies with one of the male drugs. And if things go wrong for men in the bedroom, we say, oh, it's biology and we need to address it. And if things go wrong for women in the bedroom, we say, oh, it's psychology. Have a bubble bath, dear. Have some chocolate. And it's so incredibly dismissive when, God damn it, we bring biology into the bedroom too. So it's been a crazy story. Um, and now working on just a campaign about the right to desire and the fact that it is our right 
And why are we not talking about this when actually if I went around the room and I asked every 10th one of you to raise your hand, that's how many women are affected by this. It affects 10% of us. Why are we not talking about it yet? We've talked a lot about, too, there's just such an inequality, I think, we've discussed with the value placed on women's health and on our sexual desire and our sexuality in and of itself. I feel like we have, you know, at least with my friends and we've discussed, have conversations about the man you're seeing or you know, whatever it is that, but we don't really say, hey, when you're having sex, are you, do you enjoy it? <laughs> you know, we, we can sometimes do that, but there's not the, an openness. And it's not, you can't go to your doctor and say, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm struggling in the bedroom and I don't really know if it's something with my biology or something going on. There's no platform for us to be able to discuss this. And something that Cindy brought forward was, just adding a question when you're talking to your gynecologist that they ask you, you know, have you been here in a year? Are you sexually active? And are you satisfied sexually? Because there's not a place for that for us. It's really so, so simple. So not only I think with us owning um, the conversation about sex well beyond reproduction, all the way through to pleasure, um, owning it to its full destination, if you will, but for uh, from an educational perspective, at least we work with the um, physician community to add one question. And if you go to your gynecologist and they ask you about sex, typically they'll ask you three questions. They'll say, are you sexually active? Do you want birth control? And do you want to be tested for STDs? And if they would add one question and say, and are you satisfied? we'd actually have a very different permission to speak about this as women. So we're working actively on that. It'll take me a long time uh, to get that into the women's wellness, if you will, protocol. Uh, but for the interim, I think it's really about owning it um, ourselves and owning why we're not asked this question, being a little bit aggravated that we're not asked this question, and also making sure that if you're in your conversation with your girlfriends, and they have the nerve to bring it up, that we don't repeat what is so deeply embedded societally, which is to also pat her on the shoulder and say, hey, it's just a phase. It comes from the most sincere and helpful place for us, uh, woman to woman, but I think what we need to be saying is something could be going on and you should be talking about it. That's the most important part, I think, is to give each other permission. Absolutely. Um, there's a story that I like when Cindy shares because I think it really speaks to the ridiculousness of the inequality of what's placed on men's need for, you know, this was such an important thing for men to be able to have a drug that would fix erectile dysfunction, but for us to feel like there's an avenue that we can go down to maybe help with that. And I just wanted you to share about when I was going through the process, and there were, there were 25 drugs for men when I first started out, and then the 26th got approved. When I was still in this process trying to fight um, for our science to be taken seriously, to finally break through for women, and that 26th drug uh, was a product that <laughs> I hope there's nobody who's uh, offended by any of this. It basically addresses curvature of the penis that in interferes with the enjoyment of sex. And look, for guys who have this going on, if there's a path other than surgery, great, they should have it. But let me just talk to you a little bit about how this decision is made. When In science, it comes down to benefit and risk, right? All drugs have risks. You have to characterize those. That's your job um, as a company. And then you actually 
turn the decision over, if you will, to a healthcare practitioner and the patient. So the biggest risk of this drug was penile rupture. <laughs> so literally we said, okay, well your dick can explode, but you should be able to make this decision with your doctor, but by God, let's not possibly open the floodgates of women having an option of their own. Um, so look, my story is, you know, the, this has, I think, emblematic of how institutionalized this really can be. How we place value judgments routinely on what matters. Like, does it matter? if women have a satisfying sex life. And when I started crusading on this, and I'm a huge crusader in women's health because you'd be appalled at how little funding goes to it. About 4% of all dollars goes to research in women's health. But when people would say, Cindy, come on, like why are you, why are you so passionate about this? Nobody's gonna lose their life from it. What I would say to them is, go talk to a woman who has this because she's losing her life as she knows it. If it's broken down in the bedroom, it broke down at the breakfast table, she's losing her relationship, she's losing some of the sexual power that's part of who we are, how we show up in this world, and we cannot marginalize that and sit by on the sidelines and let that happen. And it is extraordinary just how radical the difference is for that path, if you will, for men versus that path for women. Yeah. What I loved when you were sharing with me, and I can't remember if it was the drug you just talked about or just with Viagra, when Cindy had to go through studies, she, they made her do it with a pool of 13,000 people, right? Yes. And with men, it's 1,100 just to pass the FDA. And we were discussing earlier how basically it's inherent, and we all know this as women, that there's this constant one-down position of men, and that's everywhere, that we're given crumbs and made to feel like we've been given so much and we've been, you know, allowed to vote. And now we're allowed to talk about sexual health and all of, and talking about equal pay and all of these things. And it seems like the bottom of the barrel is our sexual health. But I feel like these conversations are so important because if we can all show up and know that the value of this is important, then we can actually start affecting change in a small way. No doubt. So I'll tell you a little bit more of my story. Um, I got that drug approved. I think nobody thought that we could do it. If, if you know, I don't look exactly the part of a classical uh, pharma CEO. Only 3% of pharma companies are run by women, unfortunately. Uh, but when we finally did, when uh, we got up in front of the, so here's what happened. The FDA turned us down uh, when I first went through and, um, and it was a devastating day, actually, because they completely controlled my fate. So my company uh, was over for all intents and purposes. I can remember that I had landed um, and I got this text that they had sent us this letter and I sat down in an airport and I think I didn't move for like two hours because I didn't know what I was gonna go and tell all my team who blood, sweat, and tears were hellbound that they were gonna change the conversation for women and sex forever. And so I went into the office, I gathered everybody around, and I said, like, here's, the, here's what's happening. And everybody went home that weekend and, you know, polished off their resumes because that was the end of it. And I went home and took to the bed and cried it out uh, for a little while. And then I woke up the next day and went back to my inbox, and I read letter after letter after letter from women who were dealing with this and saying, thank you for continuing to fight, thank you for letting me know that I'm not alone. And one woman in particular had written me, and she said, I was in the trials for the medicine, and she had responded, not all women will, uh, and she said, I wanna share my story with you. And I went and showed up 
uh, to have coffee with her. And she, I like saw her coming from across the room. She was type A in charge, looked a lot like this audience. Um, and uh, when she came walking across the room, she's telling me about these beautiful boys she's raised. She has what seems like a great marriage. She runs her own company. Um, and she said, I have succeeded in every aspect of my life other than this. And I thought, this is the portrait of a woman. She's raised her hand a thousand times. She said, something's changed, something's different. Please help me. She'd been patted on the shoulder. And I said, can I show you something? And I popped open my MacBook and I started showing her the brain scan studies that we know uh, for women who have this condition, their brain lights up totally differently when they're exposed to erotic cues, totally differently than women who have just the normal ebb and flow of desire. And all of a sudden she was crying and I turned to her and I thought, this is why I'm doing it. For her, for the validation that the system is overlooking it. And I went in on Monday and I told the company, we're gonna dispute the FDA. I like to call that the road less traveled to take on the government. Um, and it, boy, was that painful. But we did, and to their credit, they had these huge public meetings. So ultimately, we won. Um, they assembled a scientific panel. It was the first time everybody had just looked at the damn science. And when that happened, they voted overwhelmingly to approve the drug. Two days later, I sold the company for a billion dollars. <laughs> but I didn't get a billion dollar happy ending because the big company uh, who bought me, they were gonna keep me, keep all my team, you know, the blood, sweat and tears passion for changing this for women. Um, and within three months of that transaction, my entire team was gone. And they put the drug back on the shelf. And by God, we did not fight for women to finally have the choice. Take the drug, don't take the drug. If you're affected, have the conversation. You have a right to it. That wasn't the goal. The goal was about changing this narrative and women having the choice. And so I was sitting on the sidelines. Here's my baby. Now no women can actually even get it. So then I decided, well... I'm gonna have to punch the patriarchy in the balls again. So I fought them and I ended up getting the product back and I kept the billion dollars. <laughs> hey guys, it's Carly from Create and Cultivate and I'm here to talk to you about acuity scheduling. Here at CNC, we're all about work hacks. So between planning events, recording podcasts or prepping our next product launch, we're a busy team. So any tool that'll make our work lives easier, we're all ears. Enter Acuity Scheduling, your virtual scheduling assistant. From the moment clients book, Acuity steps in to send booking confirmations, deliver text reminders, process payments, and more. Gone are the days of the annoying, what time works for you, email chain. With Acuity Scheduling, clients can view your availability in real time and book their own appointments, easily reschedule, and even pay online. Get notified anytime a new appointment is booked, check your schedule right from your phone, and even tell Acuity to automatically update the calendars you already use, like Google, Outlook, iCloud, or Office 365, keeping your entire life in sync. This automation tool helps your day-to-day -day run smoother so you can focus on more important items. And best of all, Acuity scheduling can adapt to any business. It can accommodate multiple locations and employees, class bookings, private sessions, add-on sales, and even recurring subscriptions. If you're losing control of your busy schedule, visit acuityscheduling.com slash workparty for a free 45-day trial of Acuity Scheduling. I mean, how amazing is that? 45 days for free? 
And the best part, no credit card is required. So go online now and that's acuity, A-C-U-I-T-Y, scheduling.com slash work party. I wanted to ask you too, obviously, as you know, a lot of people know, our reproductive rights have kind of been under attack a lot. And I just wondered, since you're so involved in this movement and you're kind of really in it, like, is there any advice that you have for women who feel like they're being stifled or just how they can take action and, you know, support this? My first piece is stand up, speak up, stand up, and then lock arms with other women who share this passion with you. That's what it's going to take is really, and when they try to take you down, you just got to keep going. There's a quote from Gandhi And I promise you, I think it probably will describe most of our professional journeys. It certainly describes mine. And it says, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. Just see it all the way through to the win, because you got it. I agree, and I I think something that I, I was thinking about a lot too is, no matter what your belief system about it is, I think that there's space for all of it, but I think the important part is everyone is that we make it our rights and not let it be decided by men. Once we have the rights, that then we can talk about it amongst ourselves and you can go on whatever path that you, because that's the point, is that you should have the right. You shouldn't be taken away from you. And you actually, I think is, this is a little bit of a non sequitur, but I love something that you're working with, with this money that she got back. <laughs> She's created this thing called the Pink Ceiling, which is working on incredibly amazing things with women. And there's one that I think is amazing that, that you put in the drink. Yeah. So, so I'm putting my money where my mouth is. There should be more women that get to billion dollar exits. And I knew once I got there that my best work would be to reach my hand back and get more women there. And I hope to create a billion dollars worth of uh, wealth for women. That's very important to me. And the reason I can do that now is I get to sit on a different side of the table. I was laughed at by investors when I went to go fundraise. Um, They weren't going to give me money. So I figured out a different path. And now I get to invest in those things that I want to see in this world. You know, we talk a lot about women need a voice. What women need is power. And money is a power that can be used for good or for bad. Uh, But if I can use it for good, it allows us to get things that we want to see that would otherwise be overlooked as a niche product. So I have a pinkubator, the first pinkubator, and we look at companies that are creating technologies, disruptive technologies, buyer for women. So remember us talking about a technology that if I were to just dip my finger in a drink and touch a disc in 30 seconds, it would tell me if there was a date rape drug in that drink. It's a product that I couldn't get to market fast enough for my nieces on college campuses. We have a flushable pregnancy test coming to market at the end of the year. It's called Leah Diagnostics. Brilliant, young, scientific founder. And you know, why should 80% of our pregnancy tests be plastic when it doesn't need to be? Never mind, why are we not having the conversation about discretion? It's 100% your business what happens there. So we really get to find these incredible, I feel privileged, I have the coolest job. People come in with you know, these in, uh, amazing ideas uh, every day and we look at those things that are real disruptive first and probably important catalysts in social conversations we should be having. I'm curious just because we've had so many conversations about it, but just about your ideas on also just There's a grand scale, obviously, that we'd like to change with women's health and starting conversations, but just within opening up conversations about desire with our girlfriends, because I feel like, and I know you touched on it a little bit, but I just feel like there can be 
such a stigma or you don't want to talk about it. I feel like there's so much also in the media and for young women that I see that really kind of has scared me a little bit because I feel like there's this idea and imagery that sex should be easy and all of these things about sex should kind of be rushed and that that's a way to gain validation with men, especially with younger girls, and that somehow your pleasure is not discussed. There's nowhere in sexual education classes when you're growing up that talks about the importance of sexual pleasure as a woman. It's just the same thing that they kind of talk about at the doctor, which is you're going to get pregnant or you're going to get STDs and don't do it. There's no conversation that's in support of having a self, like a, a healthy sexual experience. And I want to find a way and hopefully create something that can utilize that more. And also for young men as well. I hope you'll follow us at just righttodesire.com. It's just real women, real conversations, experts in the field talking about it. And I think what Rumor said is so important. She's such a great champion of women's health is just bring it up with your girlfriends. It's why is it taboo? Why is this the last taboo? The only people who are going to bring it up is us. And I think it would be a great kindness to each other to actually start talking about. We all think like sort of after, you know, high school, you, you think, all right, well, we were taught everything you're supposed to know about sex, and we're, we, we, we never sort of bring it up again, because everything, all of the messaging that's embedded, whether it be in movies or media or whatever we're seeing, really does sort of silence this discussion, uh, and I think it's an important one, and there are, by the numbers, there are a lot of women sitting in this room today who are dealing with this in silence, and we need to help them know that they're not alone. In my 20s, I knew the basics of personal finance, like saving and budgeting, but I wasn't always practicing it. I just couldn't think that far into the future, but looking back, I really wish I had someone to keep me accountable or could teach me the importance of why budgeting mattered. And if this sounds like you, say hello to Financial Gym. Just like the fitness version, the Financial Gym provides you with your own financial trainer who will help you manage your money from credit cards, goal setting, and investment education. They want to help you achieve financial fitness so you can reach your money goals. And trust me, we know money can be confusing and frustrating and scary and intimidating for many of us. So they are here to break it down. And even just starting with these five numbers, 15. This is the percentage of income you earn before taxes that should be saved. Six, the number of months worth of savings you should have stashed away in case of an emergency. 750, this is the credit score Financial Gym recommends and do not worry if you're not even close, they will help you get there. Two, the number of investment accounts you need, for instance, retirement or taxable investments. And finally, 35, the percentage of your income that should be used to pay off debt. Boom, there it is, already helping you. So if you're ready to make some serious money moves, schedule a free 20-minute consultation with the Financial Gym at financialgym.com slash workparty. Make sure to mention Work Party on your call to get that 20% off your monthly membership. And do not be shy. Be honest with your Financial Gym trainer about your situation so they can understand the best way to help you reach your financial goals, whether that's buying a house, increasing your salary, saving up for the wedding. Get in there, do it, don't worry, they've got you covered. Sex is the most fun thing you can do for free. (laughs) 
Agreed. Um, your biggest lesson has been? To get back up. And, uh, and you're going to be underestimated. And I talk a lot about, you know, at the beginning when I went out and didn't fit the part and tried to raise money and tried to tackle something that everybody else was running away from, um, I was underestimated. And I think that what can happen in that is you can sort of pull back in either self-doubt or frustration um, or you can see the underestimation as an invitation to surprise people. And once you flip it, you go from underestimated to unapologetic. All right, your guilty Instagram follow. Ooh, uh, <laughs> Ashley Longshore. Does anybody know her, the artist? Oh my gosh, if you're not following Ashley, Ashley Longshore Art, she's a great pop artist. And here's what I love, like we all have our guilty pleasures that are so you know, snarky, uh, but often sort of pessimistic. The beauty of Ashley is she is irreverent as hell, but optimistic and positive, and I love her. Love her. Um, your best life hack. Wait, I have to tell an Ashley thing. So Ashley has a painting that I desperately want that says, Little Miss Muffet became Warren Buffett. <laughs> and that's what I wish for all of you. Okay, yeah. sorry, my life hack. My God, I live, uh, where's Alaska Airlines? I live, in the, I live in the sky practically. I'm on the road all the time hunting these great female founders, these ideas. Um, so my life hack is, Ben, learn how to roll up all your clothes. I can pack like a champion. I'm adding one, and this is yes. your sex hack. Ooh, my sex hack. It's a priority. That's the truth. It's so beneficial overall for your health, honestly. Like, my life hack is just fucking do it. I mean, people say, like, what's the advice you would have given your younger self? My advice would have been have more sex. Yeah. And what would be your message to all these lovely young women? Ooh, my message to everybody here is own it. Whatever it is, just own it. I want you to find a piece. If you're creating value for somebody else, get a piece of the pie, get a piece of the money. If you own your sexual desire, you have a right, this idea of a right to desire, and I love the hashtag women on top. Right to desire is not only in this, this arena, but right to desire to be in the C-suite, to start your own company, to have your own voice. Whatever that is, I would just ask all of you to go out Right to desire. What is something that you desire that you haven't started doing anything about? And challenge yourself when you leave here to, to start working on it. I love that. Thank you. I just wanted to share something, too, that I learned that's been really helping me is that we, all of us, have value inherently, not based on our job, who our husband is, our ethnicity, any of that. And starting to just live in that way every morning of realizing your inherent value, I think is one of the key parts of changing this conversation. Um, we just want to open it up to some questions now. It's okay if you say asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, def I definitely am. Um, I was wondering if you were familiar with the work of Dr. Wednesday Martin and Whitney Miller. They recently started a podcast and... I sometimes am curious if some of that like low desire is um, contributed to maybe the the conversation around like monogamy and just if you have any thoughts around that. Yeah, I think you know desire is. Um so I should say this, and it's such an important piece of this work. Desire is on your own terms. So there's no imposition of idyllic sexuality. It doesn't exist. There's no version of right other than what's right for you. 
Um, and I think that's really important. For some people, sex isn't you know, a big part of their life or something that they are looking for. For me, from the standpoint of women deserving an option to address something biologically going wrong, those women are, um, if, you, if I gave a litmus test, they were once happy with their desire, something changed. The change was persistent, and it's actually deeply affecting them personally. They're distressed, and distress is the hallmark. If you're not having sex and you don't care, never to take anything for that. Um, don't do anything for that, but I think um, that's, a, that's an important piece of it is this kind of opportunity for sex on your own terms, whatever that right environment is for you, et cetera. But if you've lost spontaneous desire, like you never have a fantasy anymore, that's, those are the characteristics of this condition for a lot of women that affect one in 10. They lost that spontaneous, we're wired pretty much um, animalistically that our brain quiets when we have sex. And that's what we actually see on the brain scans for women with the condition is that they're literally lying in bed and their, their mind is still firing. They're going, what's on my to-do list? What do I have to do something? And actually showing up on brain scans that very way. That's not just everybody? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, look, no time, no energy, no privacy. Here's my test. Um, if you are you know, on a work deadline and everything else, and you're like, honey, not tonight, um, probably normal. If you go from San Francisco to, who knows, Paris, and you're still like, no, get away, like different, right? When all those distractions and everything else are, are removed, and you still have actually no inherent desire for sex. Yeah, right here. My friend has <laughs> um, struggled with this. Um, she has a wonderful husband who's the cutest nugget in the world and a beautiful family and everything's great. And she has talked to the doctor several times and different doctors who have both said because she is pregnant with her third kid <laughs> um, <laughs> that she obviously functions correctly because she was able to have three kids in five years. So... Wow. I'm confused on the, for me, I've Googled it, and I'm confused on, A, like, what the condition actually is. Yes, okay. Because um, I don't know how to even Google that, you know? Okay. I own a business. I Like, all the things that stress you out, but still, yeah. I would want to have, yeah. she would want to have that. <laughs> so, what is the condition, and how does it, can you explain how it actually sure. physically affects you yes. to take that away? So the condition's called hypoactive or low hypoactive sexual desire disorder. It's, it's basically moniker is HSDD. It has the same prevalence as ED has for men. It's women's most common sexual dysfunction. And here's what bothers me about what you've been told. It's not about function. They can't see it because it's in our brain. And for this 10% of women, something goes off kilter. So you need this balance of dopamine and serotonin to respond to sexual cues. That's like your excitement and your inhibition. And it goes off balance for some women. It's not unlike, this isn't a woman who is depressed, this is a distinctive condition, but it's kind of the thing you can most liken it to because all of us are pretty familiar with how those work. It works to restore brain chemicals to a place where you are responding again. That's how, that's how the solution works. Is that helpful? Good. Thank you. Let her know, please. Yeah, I think we have it. one more question, maybe. Yeah. Hi, I'm Laura DeFrancesco, and I'm a corporate attorney and angel investor. I wanted to ask, does the Pinkubator take on additional angel investors to invest with the Pinkubator? 
love to talk to you about it. So I'm, I'm putting you know, my money in, and then I often will introduce it to a national network of other angels of ideas that I get really excited about. So love to find them additional funding. I think we find really special opportunities. Very cool. I think it's Thank amazing you. that you're supporting women in Thank that way. You. Thank, Thank you. you. I appreciate that. Do we have time for one more? One more? Yeah, go for it, love. So you spoke about having sexual dissatisfaction, and um, personally, I have absolutely no problem bringing this up with my sisters, my girlfriends. Good. How do I approach this with my partner? I mean, it's something that's kind of been a prevalent, you know, present thing in my life, and I have no idea how to talk to him about okay, it. Okay, I love that you asked this question, because one of the coolest things that I witnessed in women who responded was the relief of their partner. So they, they know, right, if you sort of sneak to bed early because you're avoiding them or you don't let them see you in the shower or whatever it might be. And I think it's hard, we're human and there's an ego related to sex. So you feel rejected. And actually when partners realized it was something outside of their control, that something may be going on biologically and they realized, oh God, it isn't me. Like, thank God. So I think you just need to talk about it. Say, look, we enter, like, we enter the bedroom for pleasure. So, you know, my pleasure counts as much and we need to be having this dialogue. Like, here's how I feel about it. Here's what would make a big difference. And I think it's incredible relief if I can tell one story. So I'm at a meeting that I was at, I was speaking about it, and I went right after to a Starbucks and a guy like tapped me on the shoulder. Um, I was standing in line and he said, hey, I think what you're doing is really cool. And I said, oh, thank you so much. He said, I ran AV in the talk that you just gave. And I said, oh, thanks. And he said, I, and then he like sort of grabbed my arm a little bit tighter and he started to tear up and he said, I just got divorced. And he said, and, and I think this is what it was. And I was so hard on her and had I known. And so I think it, look, everybody benefits from a more honest and open dialogue here. Um, so I really do ask all of you, I hope you'll follow what we're doing at Right Desire. I hope you'll be brave enough to bring it up with your partner, to bring it up with your girlfriends. It's part of our life. Thank you. And remember too, I just wanna add, like, they're probably just as embarrassed to talk yeah. to you about yeah. it, you know? Like, we're all worried that everyone is judging us. We're so much, we're all just judging ourselves. Yes. So there's probability that he's sitting there going, oh my God, I'm not enough, I'm not doing enough. You know, he's in his head probably just as much as you are about it. I know I do the same thing. I'm like, oh, he's judging me 100%. I'm not doing this right. There's something wrong with me. As opposed to having a supportive conversation. And I would even bring forward for you to consider, I went the other day to the hustler shop with my sister and had an amazing, they were doing a, a class on like multi-orgasmic, right? And the girl who's talking, sharing, is talking about how she's been like multi-orgasmic her whole life. And I'm sitting there just like, oh, fuck you, kind of a little bit. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? <laughs> really? <laughs> okay, that's great for you, I'm so happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but I don't know, finding a way to make it an easier conversation and going in so you can both share it in a way that it's not this deep conversation, you know, and bring a little like levity to it. That's right. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. We could talk about sex all day. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? Part Career Manifesto, part practical business advice 
Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur. The ups, the downs, the things I learned and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com. So you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.